Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the Forecast Fest. We're so glad you can join us. I am Kate Baldwin here with my colleagues, Harry Anton. Shalom. And sitting in for John Avalon today, the one, the only, John Berman. It's because I was available. <laughs> well, there's also that. That's <laughs> what I have going for me. That's <laughs> so nice to Reachable. see you, Well, it's true. We love you, though, still. This week, we are going to look ahead to the next Democratic debate as the qualifying deadline approaches, and a brand new CNN poll is changing who is going to be on that stage. And there is a lot to dive into with that very same CNN poll, including where has Kamala Harris gone? And then we're going to take on some constant talking points. Don't believe the polls. The polls were wrong in 2016 and President Trump spreading more conspiracy theories about the 2016 results. But before we get to any of that, let's get the latest forecast. Harry. Oh, I believe that's my turn. That's Harry Enton's music. Mm. Uh, So, you know, obviously, Crystalis and I do those power rankings that we update every two weeks and we have a fresh set of power rankings, most of which are the same, but we'll get right to it. Number 10 on the list, we actually have someone new, Tom Steyer, the businessman. He was previously unranked, but he's been putting a lot of ads on the air, and therefore we have moved him up as his polls have gotten a little bit better. Uh, Number nine, Julian Castro. He is actually down a spot, uh, and moving up a spot is former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Um, Amy Klobuchar, she is staying the same as where she is, the senior senator from the great state of Minnesota at number seven. Number six is Cory Booker. He's in the same spot. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, he is still at number five. Number three, this is actually, you've noticed I skipped four if you folks at home are keeping tabs on the math. We have a tie between Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont and Kamala Harris, the junior senator from the great state of California. Number two, unchanged, is the junior senator from the great state of Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren, and retaining his title as numero uno, the former vice president of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Do you give out awards if he maintains that status for a certain period of time? I mean, actually, we do. (laughs) I've I've, uh, contacted Jostens for a ring, um, and it will be engraved number one for Three months running, Joe Biden in the Chris Eliza Harry Enten power. You know, rankings. ultimately, if he keeps that spot, he gets the nomination. That's, what? Th- that, that's the award. Oh, that's what we're going <laughs> yeah, very for? Why is, Steyer, so why is Steyer on the list? Uh, because, look, he has put a ton of ads on in the early primary states, over a million dollars being spent. If you look at states like Iowa, South Carolina, New Hampshire, um, he is consistently getting, you know, 3%. Of the vote or more, there's even one poll of the early states um, that, you know, aggregates all the states, which actually has them closer to 5%. And I think it's just an indication that, hey, you know what, you put money into advertisements, you put ads on the air, there does seem to be some receptive message. And at the end of the day, no, he's not one, not two, not three, not four, not even nine, but it's good enough for 10. 
If he doesn't make the debate stage, can he stay on the list? If, if anyone isn't on the debate stage, are they allowed to be on your list? I would say that if you're not on a debate stage, then you probably are not going to stay on the list for a very long period of time because let's be honest with you, ads, television, debates, it's all about oxygen, media oxygen. If you don't have that media oxygen, you die, just like a human dies if a human does not have oxygen. I was a little morbid, but Bernie Sanders and tying Kamala Harris, do you think that's more about Bernie Sanders or more about Kamala Harris? What do you think? Like, what they've been doing? Sanders doesn't move. I mean, Sanders seems to have his support, so he, he's stuck there, and so I think all the movement has to do with people rising and falling, and I think there's mm. just no question that Senator Harris has dropped um, since the first debate. And, and I, look, I think there's a real question with her. She's now had at least two terrific looks uh, among Democratic voters. When mm-hmm. she announced and had the giant rally, the CNN town hall, which 10 jillion people right. watched, and then the first debate, which everyone thought she did a great job. But, and after that, everyone was looking because they were curious. And each time people looked and didn't stay. And I think that's a problem. I would just say, you know, to quote Mighty Ducks uh, 3, as I often do, uh, you know, it's easy to be in control of the puck when you're on offense and feel security. It's a lot different to be able to play good defense and when you're not in control of life. And so far to me, it seems that Kamala Harris is a great prosecutor, but she's not exactly a great defense attorney. So talking about Tom Steyer, the most airtime this man has ever gotten on the podcast, probably, um, you added him to the list of the power ranking and you talk about how much money he's been putting um, into the airwaves, especially in Iowa. He has been gaining some momentum in the run-up to next month's debate. The candidates still have another week until the qualifying deadline uh, occurs on the 28th. And just a reminder to everybody, they need four polls where they're polling at or above 2%. They need 130,000 unique donors. That's basically everything is double from what the requirements were for the last two debates. And I was thinking we could just talk about where things stand for the next debates right now. Just a quick list on who is so far now qualified for the September debate. Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Andrew Yang. So there's 10 on the stage. And the CNN poll was the last poll that Julian Castro needed to make the cut. And then there are candidates who meet the fundraising threshold, but not the polling threshold yet. That's Tom Steyer, Tulsi Gabbard, and Marianne Williamson. One person, though, not happy with the requirements is Montana Governor Steve Bullock. He even called out Tom Steyer for buying his way on the debate stage. Just listen to this from Fox News. Way to go. But the thought that you could spend $10 million to get on a debate stage, I don't think that that's really good for democracy. I think well-intentioned, the Democratic... Is that fair, John? It's the rule. At this point, <laughs> look, the Democratic National Committee in the campaigns early on tried to make this series of debates in the primary season different, better than it was four years ago. Mm-hmm. This is what they came up with. Everyone knew the rules going in, period, full stop. Can um, you buy your way onto the debate stage? I think the answer is yes, yes. maybe. I mean, look at what Tom Steyer is trying to do. He still needs to get the polls. I don't know if there are going to be. Are, Harry, so, do you know? So are, are there more polls? So, yeah. So essentially he has three qualifying polls. He's gotten all of those from the early states. And that's not a big surprise because that's where he's spending the millions yeah. of dollars. Right. And it's easier to move, say, you know, a few people in Iowa and get your polling up by, say, a point to 2% than it is to move, you know, tens of thousands of people nationally to get your polling to move up a point. It's a real question about whether and how, how many polls are left 
to be come out right. by August yeah. 28th in the early states. I think one thing to keep in mind on if you're a polling nerd is let's see if CBS YouGov comes out with a poll. You know, they poll Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. And if they do, then all of a sudden you're getting three for the price of one and you might be able to get it up. I think there's still a question. If I were a betting man, if there's another early state poll to come, Tom Steyer will make it. If not, he will not make it. But for the rest of them, despite the fact that they make the uh, fundraising threshold, they're not going to meet the polling threshold. I have one other more entertaining cogent point, hmm. which is that what— <laughs> More cogent than mine, hopefully. Uh, what other universe is there where people jump up and down and celebrate at 2%? Exactly. I mean, that's what we've come to is that 2% is a major freaking achievement. Um, and I get it. Or, uh, or flip side additional that folks think making 2% is too is too high of an expectation to make a presidential debate stage. Right, right. And you know, That's when, good. when you look at you know Harry's ranking in the top ten, and you look at this debate thing, it, it, it there are ten people there, but the voters don't think there are ten candidates, let alone twenty three. They really just don't. You know, I, I mean, five percent isn't a huge amount, but right. in a multi candidate field, five percent is okay. I just wonder at this point if so, if we're overthinking this democratic field, and a lot of these people who are still in or on the stage aren't really in it as far as the voters uh, I, are concerned. You know, I'll just say this much about that much, and that is you go back looking through history, how many nominees in the modern era since people basically, the voters had control of it, went on to win a nomination despite the fact that they were polling below 5% at this point? And I think that the answers are Jimmy Carter in 76, Bill Clinton in 1992, who wasn't even in the race at this point, and you can make an argument for George McGovern, but even he was polling above 5% in New Hampshire at this point. Um, Let's move on if we can, because I want to talk about some more polls or actually dive a little bit deeper into the CNN poll that came out um, as of Tuesday of this week. Harry, since you live blogged the polls release. Oh, my God. Um, tell us, what are your big takeaways from the CNN poll? Let me just say that for those of you who did not actually see that poll for some reason, despite the fact that if you're listening to this podcast, then apparently you might be a fan of polling data, like me refreshing polling websites all of the time. I feel like he's trying to shame you if you haven't seen the poll yet. But anyway, yes. continue. In, in any event, Joe Biden led in that poll with 29 percent. Uh, second was Bernie Sanders at 15. Elizabeth Warren was third at 14. Buttigieg and Harris were tied at five and no one else was above three. Um, so essentially what you were pointing out, John, which is basically you have five candidates at five percent or above and then no one else is above three percent. And you know, you're trying to figure out whether or not there's going to be some movement. And we ask a question, who would you like to hear more from besides your first choice? And if you look at it, the candidates, Warren, Harris, Sanders, Biden, Buttigieg, they're the only ones who are above 10 percent. And then you have Booker, O'Rourke, Yang, Castro, and Klobuchar, all between 5 and 10 percent. So in other words, even if you wanted to hear more from them and you added those numbers, the most that any of these candidates would get would be up to 13 percent of the vote, even right. if they were able to convert all those people who wanted to hear more from them. And more than that, what was interesting to me was if you compare this question the who'd you like to hear more from besides your first choice, compare that to the June 28th to 30th version of that question. Actually, fewer voters want to hear more from most of the candidates. Fewer voters, four points fewer voters want to hear from Elizabeth Warren. 12 points fewer voters want to hear from Kamala Harris. 10 points fewer voters want to hear from Pete Buttigieg. Seven points fewer voters want to hear from Cory Booker. And 11 points fewer voters want to hear from Julian Castro. So if anything, it seems to me that voters aren't actually expanding their horizons. They may actually be shrinking them. And that should be, I mean, my assumption is, is that is should be most troubling for Kamala Harris because where she's standing in the national poll and in the early states, the all along, she was the the, the candidate that everyone wanted to hear most about. That's right. People she was killing it on that. That was her best number. And now she yeah, dropped right. 12 points. Yeah. She's not even leading that category anymore. Elizabeth Warren's leading that category. Do you think it's too far? Yes, we're still early. Is it too far to think that people have heard enough? 
probably still too early to say that, right? I mean, there's still things to learn from candidates. There's definitely things to learn from candidates. And I do think that the more debates you have with some of these leading candidates facing off head to head, the more revelatory that will yeah. be. Yeah. I, you know, if I was going to use an example, uh, uh, you know, I was asked last night whether or not there were any such candidates who dropped so tremendously. So Kamala Harris was 17 percent in her last poll, 5 percent in this one. Some other polls perhaps have it slightly smaller, but all agree on a major drop for her. Is there a history of candidates dropping that much? And, you know, quickly going into my mind, I just think of the 2012 Republican primary season where you basically saw that every five seconds, right? Rick Perry dropping a right. ton. Uh, Herman Cain dropping a ton. Newt Gingrich dropped a ton and then actually came back to life after winning the South Carolina primary. So to me, look, it's still early days yet. Obviously, you would prefer to not be in Kamala Harris's shoes, at least as what has happened over the last month with her. Um, but I, I would much rather be at 5% or above than some of those other candidates who can't seem to get above 1% or 2%. I will say 2012 was a great way to compare it there. The one difference to 2012 this time is, of course, Joe Biden. Yes. Who was vice president of the United States and has been in the public spotlight for decades, mm -hmm. although he'd be mad at me for saying that, decades and decades. Don't look back decades. Look, I had a Republican strategist text me yesterday after the poll came out and said, I don't understand why you all aren't making a bigger deal out of the fact that Joe Biden is still around 30 percent. And no matter what happens, he stays around 30 percent. He said, what could happen? What could he do at this point that would cause him to drop 10? You just can't conceive of it, given, again, I mean, I know there's age, there's health issues, gaff issues, but, but there, there were these bad weekends that he had in Iowa. He didn't drop there. So what could it be? That's what Republican strategists are saying. I, I, I would just say— I mean, it's a valid—it's a very valid question. I think the one thing that would cause him to drop, as you hinted at in your answer, and that is to lose the Iowa caucuses. And if he lost it by plenty, that could have a, a major impact. But right now, he is, at least in the public poll, leading in Iowa. Because it goes directly counter to the whole, the whole thing he's banking right. on, right? The electability fund. There's one thing that came out, that one bit in the poll that I found really um, fascinating is, right, what, do we, what have we heard all along? Joe Biden is the moderate. He's where the most of the Democratic Party is. And Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are where liberal voters are. The poll, when you look at it, Joe Biden had 22 percent of liberal support, which was the same as Sanders. And Warren had 23 percent support among liberals. That, to me, goes against that entire narrative that Joe Biden is not getting polling support from the liberal voters. Yeah, he's competitive in almost every demographic and political group, which is all he needs to be. Even if Joe Biden were doing five points worse among liberals, he'd still be doing fine. The fact that he's competitive at all there is what the problem is, I think, for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Mm. Uh, you know, I would just note that's exactly right. Where he trails, he trails by very little. Where he leads, he leads by a lot. I will say that in the very liberal category, if you were to break it down, he does worse there. But that is just 20 percent of the Democratic vote. And, you know, that I think might actually have an outsized voice, at least in cable news and on Twitter. But it is not a big part of the electorate. Can I ask real quick? Maybe this is another one of those conversations that happens on cable and it doesn't bear itself out in the data. Do you do Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, are they neutralizing, canceling each other out right now? This is one of my favorite subjects. And Harry can give you the data here. Obviously, I think they occupy the same progressive lane. Yeah. But to say that Bernie Sanders voters are identical to Elizabeth Warren voters, I think is untrue. He does better again uh, with 
non-college whites. Mm -hmm. She does well among college grads. It's not clear to me that Bernie Sanders, particularly the male non-college whites, if they were to flee him, it's not clear to me they go to Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's some polling data that that suggests that Joe Biden would win the plurality of the um, Bernie Sanders vote, the second choicers. You know, this is just one of those things where, remember, we talk about ideology a lot, but demography plays a big role in people's primary choices. Super fascinating. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, the president turns on Fox News and also we talk conspiracy theories. We'll be right back. On Sunday, President Trump told reporters the following, quote, there's something going on at Fox. I'll tell you right now, and I'm not happy with it. Trump's attack came just after Fox had put out a poll with his disapproval rating jumping to 56 percent on the rise. And also, as another Fox poll showed, when it came to head to heads with some of the Democratic candidates, he was losing. Biden was beating him. Sanders was beating him. Warren was beating him. Harris was beating him. So... Let us discuss. Is there anything wrong, Harry Enten, with the Fox polling data? No. There's nothing wrong in my mind with it. Is it necessarily right on the button? No, there are margins of error. It wouldn't be surprising to me that instead of Joe Biden leading by 12 points in that poll at this particular point, he was actually leading by eight, but that's what's to be expected. And the Fox News polling group, I know them well, are a bunch of professionals and also very nice people. Uh, This is something that the president does. He goes after those who disagree with him. And this should not be a surprise. He's gone after numerous polls. And if you put out a poll that he likes, even if it's from a pollster that isn't very accurate, he'll put MAGA with a big thumbs up on his Twitter page. Surprising at all that Donald Trump is attacking, polling that he doesn't like and holding up polling, albeit unreliable, that works in his favor. Look, it's what he does. The Fox News poll is a good poll. It has always been a good poll. They run a good operation there in their polling unit. According to 538, uh, which grades the different pollsters based upon their past accuracy, along with other few things, they get an A rating. They get an A rating. Their final poll in 2016 uh, had the president losing by less than five points. He lost by less than five points. This, I think, is the general story of the 2016 polls. Remember, these are national polls. Fox News, most of the polls at this point are national polls. The national polls were pretty good in 2016. They basically had the president losing, depending on which particular poll, by two, three, four points. In the popular vote. In the popular vote. And, John, can you remind me who, who lost that popular vote? Donald J. Trump. That is correct. Donald J. Trump. We had a quiz right here on the show, and John Berman, our guest, was able to succeed at passing. So Jeopardy, Jeopardy winner. It would have been. He did actually win Jeopardy. <laughs> I know. So, he says it to me. You shouldn't say it smugly because I had an epic fail oh, on Jeopardy. Did, my one did, time. You won the CNN quiz show, though. I did win the CNN quiz show only because I had John Berman as my. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I I don't know trivia. I don't know quiz shows, but I although the quiz show, the movie was very good. And you know, you go into 2018. If you look at those final generic ballot polls. They had the president's Republican Party losing by about eight and a half points. That's exactly what they lost by around. And 2018, on average, was a very good year for polls. And I would say this. This is from an article I wrote. It turns out that the public polling passed this test of 2018 accuracy with flying colors. Nonpartisan polls taken within three weeks of the 2018 election were far more accurate than the average poll since 1998. But let's just, let's 
just dive into it a little bit more on the lessons of 2016. You should see John Berman's moves right now. Um, Because the final outcome of 2016, the final polling was 48.5 Hillary Clinton, 46.4 Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton won by three, about three million votes. The polling was accurate. What seemed to be wrong was anyone's Everyone did. Everyone just seem to forget margin of error, or is that just? I mean, the, what, it was just the problem more of the narrative that was discussed on television. The, the problem was was the state polling. The national polling was good, and that's I think something we need to separate out. Right, the state polling was not necessarily as strong as you would want it to have been in states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And if you were look, the average state polling error was around five points nationwide, and that was a little bit larger than the polling error on average dating back since 1980, Mm -hmm. although it wasn't the largest polling error on average for an average poll on the state level. And as it turns out, in the states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, especially in Wisconsin, uh, there was not a lot of state polling that was done in the final few There's a good example of this. Harry and I sometimes have geeky conversations off camera or off pod. (laughs) Off pod. Off pod, as it were. (laughs) But Wisconsin, right? In the weeks before the election, there was a Marquette University poll in Wisconsin. And Marquette does good polling. Nailed 2018. They do some of the only good polling in Wisconsin often. And they had Hillary Clinton winning Wisconsin by... Six. Six points. Okay. Six points seems like a lot, Harry. But what was the margin of error in Wisconsin? Yeah, exactly right. That That's the exact point. Most most polls have margins of error plus or minus three, but that only applies to each individual candidate. It doesn't necessarily apply to the margin. And it was the only poll that was really taken that was high quality in the last few weeks. If you were to go down to Iowa, where the Des Moines Register poll was taken, that actually had Hillary Clinton losing that state by nearly the nine-point margin that she did end up losing by. And I think this is one of the key questions heading into 2020, are we going to see an instance where basically you have these polling errors in states with have a large population of whites without a college degree, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio, that you had in 2016. And some of that was repeated in 2018. But as we were just hinting at, if you look at a state like Wisconsin, the polls might have been too favorable to the Democratic candidate in 2016. But that was not the case in 2018. And I just believe more so that if the president of the United States is losing in the popular vote polls, the national polls, by the margins that he is in this Fox News poll, 12 points to Biden, nine points to Sanders, seven points to Warren, six points to Harris, it doesn't matter, you know, if there's an electoral college where the electoral college would be a little bit more favorable towards Trump because you're not going to be able to overcome those popular vote margins. And I think even if folks in 2020 do a better job of using more catchphrases like neck and neck, too close to call, jump ball, whatever you want to use, because folks need to really watch margin of error and consider the late undecided, the late deciders mm-hmm. that we saw in 2016. If they if folks do a better job at that, I think... Any candidate would have a harder time sowing distrust in polling and the system this time around. One other thing I think that helped build the media narrative, and I hate that phrase, media narrative, but that all the polls were wrong, were the exit polls. And I know that's a totally different animal here, but the exit polls are just never or rarely predictive. In the exit polls that day, the first few waves showed Hillary Clinton doing better than she ended up doing in these states. So there was a sense going into that evening that she was going to win fairly late into the evening that didn't turn out to be true. And had you reversed it and had Donald Trump been leading in the early exit polls, I think a lot of this wouldn't be in our heads quite as much. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I saw those early exits just like everybody else. And despite the fact that I know Historically speaking, that those early exits are not 
an accurate. You're not supposed to use them to figure out who's going to win. Uh, you're you have you're basically figuring out why people are voting the way that they are, and then they're essentially weighted to the results. You can't help but do it. And more than that, it definitely yeah. shifted the tone of the coverage. And hopefully, that's a lesson learned for next yes. time around. Although, to be honest with you, we tried to learn that lesson after 2004, as I say, as a grizzled veteran, and we didn't exactly Look, do it. 2000. Don't, for, don't, don't forget 2000. Oh, you weren't course. even born yet. John but. Berman has gray hair because yes. of 2000. Harry is Benjamin Button, though. He's been alive <laughs> since 1870. So, so, so I had the gray lot, hair back in my past. Yeah, exactly. He started with gray hair. All right. Let's talk about something else, which would be something else that the president is unhappy about. His win yet loss of the popular vote in 2016. His conspiracy theories to explain it. First, it was three to five million illegal votes. Then it was mysterious out-of-state voters being bussed into New Hampshire. And then it was people voting and then changing their clothes to vote again. That was a doozy. It had to do with hats. And then widespread voter fraud in California. There was, is no evidence of that. Now, the president is trying to blame Google, specifically bias in Google searches. He says manipulated votes. There was a researcher that put together a study, testified before Congress. There is no evidence of that. Google denies it. Regardless, here we are. Harry, is there any data that suggests, put aside the actual detail of a conspiracy theory here. We know what the popular vote was. We know where we are. Is there no data to suggest that him constantly talking about conspiracy theories is actually something that it moves or excites his base? No. There's not. Uh, Only 26 percent of Republicans say that there is strong evidence, quote unquote, strong evidence of millions of fraudulent votes being cast in 2016. That's per a 2018 Washington Post poll. Only 25 percent of Republicans and Democrats are very concerned about voter fraud. Uh, per a 2017 Fox News poll. The fact is, is there is no evidence, number one, that there is any sort of massive voter fraud going on. Trump's own Department of Justice was only uh, after that whole voter commission, the voter fraud commission, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I believe it was only 19 people were brought up on charges. 19 people were brought up on charges for nationals of casting legal votes. I got news for you. That's not three million plus. And to me, just looking at it, it seems that this is more of an ego thing with him. He can't believe he possibly lost the popular vote rather than something that works politically for him. I have to say, I did not know that 26 percent of Republicans thought there was strong evidence of millions of fraudulent votes in 2016. And you said only 26 percent. I'm astounded that 26 percent think that because right. it's not true. There is not strong evidence right. no, that millions not. of voters uh, cast votes fraudulently. In fact, there is no evidence that millions of voters cast their votes fraudulently. I talked to Ellen Weintraub, who heads up the Federal Election Commission this week, and she's been sort of begging the White House and the president, hey, if there's a problem, show us your cards. Give us the evidence. They want to know it. I want to know, she was saying. And the White House has produced nothing because it doesn't exist. I mean, you know, yes, Donald Trump has peddled in conspiracy theories for a long time. That's how he launched his political career, or I guess we could say, with the birtherism. And I remember very vividly us sitting on television together, John Berman, when he came out to make his big statement that Obama was born in the United States. That was one sentence Mm. in a 45-minute rally. He he did all of his big political events in 2016 in the 11 o'clock hour. We this were, is true. We were basically the escalator the, the ride. Show. Yeah, you know, I'm. We a, were there. I, I was under the age of thirty then, so I wasn't watching the television. <laughs> Obviously, definitely not my show. But the impact there is. Ellen Weintraub thinks the same thing. 
that there's a real impact and fear on talking about this, peddling these conspiracies. The Secretary of State of Maine, who is actually a member of that voter fraud um, commission that the president yes. put together. He's a Democrat still, but he was on the commission. He was on that board. He told me that he thinks that it actually really could hurt voter turnout. If people don't believe in the system, they don't believe mm-hmm. in the process, left, right or center, then they could be persuaded that their vote doesn't matter. And then I don't need to show up. I could see that. I, I have good news and I have bad news for you. The bad news, I'd like to start with the bad news first, is that Americans trust in government is pretty much lower than it's ever been, according to the Pew Research Center. And I think that when you're basically claiming that there's rampant voter fraud, it just contributes to that distrust. The good news is that according to Fox News's poll, and according to our own poll, if you look at voter enthusiasm heading into this election, are you paying a lot of attention? Are you enthusiastic about voting? We have that number going back at least 20 years. And the number we see right now is at a high, not just for this particular point in the cycle, which it certainly is, but is basically tying the highs for just before each election took place. So there's a lot of voter enthusiasm. I really do think based upon the fact that we had over 50 percent voter turnout for a midterm election last time around in 2018, that the voter turnout this time is probably going to be record breaking, despite the fact that Trump is trying to sow the untrustworthiness of the process. I was and I shouldn't be, but I still found myself where are we? Three years in, right? Harry's the numbers guy. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't even do that math. <laughs> Two and a half. Thank you that he went this Google route with this conspiracy theory. I just, he, and that's why I asked it off the top. It seems he believes or he thinks it's working for him to continue peddling conspiracies. I just don't get why you won the White House. Move on. But no, still. And I guess maybe I should be more mad at myself that I'm surprised. He has never abandoned those theories. Did I get my negatives right? He has, he has never not depended on <laughs> conspiracy theories. It is something that is part, I think, of his political message. Hmm. It's 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 part of a it's a populist message is what it is. It's part of it. It doesn't not that doesn't have to be part of a populist message. No, it though. doesn't need to be. But it is in his particular case. I guess so. So uplifting. That's it for us today. Go out and vote, folks. It is what it is. <laughs> there you go. Enthusi- Thanks so much for listening. Enthusiasm is at an all-time high, just like me. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to say that on the, on the podcast. No, you could. You should just stop talking. <laughs> Special thanks to John Berman for joining us today. And if you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a comment. It does help new listeners find their way to the show. And you can always find us on Twitter. I am at Kate Baldwin. John Berman, where can they find you? I'm John Berman. And he's actually quite witty, annoyingly, so you should follow him. Harry? (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't me. That was Harry. (laughs) They can't tell whose voice it is on the podcast. (laughs) They're going to think that's me. I don't make noises like that. That's what Harry hears when you talk. Oh, and and it begins. And I'm forecaster Enton, and I am from Nueva York. I'm sure that surprises anyone that's been listening. Uh, it's a real shock. Yeah. Special thanks to the team behind the scenes, Amy Eason, Lauren Moore, Emma Sislowski. We'll see you back here next time on The Forecast Fest. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.